Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from beautiful Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I do say that with all seriousness. Um, I even love South Dakota in the winter, and it seems that it, most every time I travel here, it's always sunny and warmer than Washington State, even eastern Washington. So um, one of my favorite states, that's for sure, maybe my favorite state. And believe me, I just got back from, from Hawaii. And is South? do I like South Dakota better than Hawaii? Hmm, maybe. Um, it's easier to get to, uh, and... Um, it's really inexpensive to live here. I ate dinner last night with a friend um, for less, a little over $40, like less than $41. Unbelievable. In Washington State, it would have been twice that. So, And gas is like $2.50 some cents a gallon. So another reason I love, I love South Dakota. And the biggest reason is they believe in individual liberty and that's what I'm all about. That's what this podcast is all about is, is educating and empowering individuals to make their own healthcare choices. So, um, so what I'm going to talk about today is the best markers for metabolic health and longevity. I, I think I speak for myself and maybe a lot of people. I, I think we all want to live a, a long life um, for longevity, but we also want to live a healthy life. That's where the metabolic health comes in. And of course, when you have better metabolic health, that, that you'll probably live longer. There's a lot of things that play into how long we live. Mostly genetics, maybe. I mean, chances are, if you know, if your parents lived a long life, your your mom, your dad lived a long life, you have that option. That doesn't mean you're going to, because if you abuse your body, um, then you will not live a long life. And and what does that mean? Well, that means you're not eating right, not sleeping right, not. Um, not moving your body, not exercising. So we're going to talk about that all today. And and remember, people saying that they have bad genetics is a cop-out because we can't change our genetics, but we can change the way our genes are expressed, period. So I, I've met people who say, well, you know, my dad had a heart attack when he was 40. My mom had a heart attack when she was 49. I've just got bad genetics. I'm just going to treat my body like crap. You know what? That, that, that's just that, that's a cop out. That's a way to be lazy. And that's just not um, true. I mean, you know, here's an example of how of how in the um, in the world that genetics change. So I'm going to use one of the simplest life forms of bacteria. Um, there are bacteria out there. Let's just say Streptococcus. It was one of the first bacteria that penicillin was um, used to treat infections, Streptococcus pneumonia. Let's just say that one. Well, guess what? Streptococcus pneumonia, there are strains of it that do not produce penicillinase. Penicillinase is a, a um, protein that breaks down penicillin. And it only produces this in, in um, when penicillin is present. So think about that. Here's bacteria that have penicillinase, but they don't produce it unless penicillin is present. That is proof right there that you know in the in 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 the world how you cannot change your genetics, but you can change the way your genes are expressed. In order to turn that penicillin ACE protein on to produce that protein, they change the way their genes are expressed. That's what the bacteria does. 
our body does the same thing. So if we put the right stimulus on our bodies, we will change the way our genes are expressed. The wrong stimulus on our bodies, we will change the way our genes are expressed and live a shorter, less healthy life. So let's talk about some of those markers for metabolic health. Most of them I'm going to talk about today are things that you can measure in your home. Actually, all of them are, although I have two honorable mentions for blood tests. Um, and, and they're super easy, inexpensive blood tests anyway. And um, the ways to monitor your home are, are, are fairly easy. And some of these should come as no surprise. And I'm going to kind of mention why that is. So if you follow me on social media, I did a post on Facebook yesterday about VO2 max and how important VO2 max um, is to predicting your health and longevity. And Peter Atia is a doctor, you know, look him up, I-T-T-I-A. Um, he, over the last, I don't know when that original video came out about his VO2 max, and he may have been promoting that for a while. But um, he did a great article, uh, little, a little video on, you know, VO2 max and predicting um, long-term um, health and longevity. And what is VO2 max? We talked about it. Jen and I talked about it last week when we were talking about heart rate monitoring. But VO2 max is literally how much oxygen we can move in our bodies. And, and that really has to do with how fit our cardiopulmonary system is, cardio, heart, pulmonary, lungs. So how, heart our health, how healthy our heart and lungs are. Now, there's other things that, that move into VO2 max also. Um, your lean body mass, because your lean muscles actually help you um, move oxygen. It's not just your heart and lungs. So lean body mass is important also. I'll get into that later. So that's a predictor of overall health, VO2 max, how much oxygen you can move in your, in your um, body. There's different ways to test it, but let's just think about this. If you are setting up to have a heart attack and your arteries are your heart in your artery, your arteries in your heart are constricted because that's what causes a heart attack constriction in your arteries. And then usually there's an infarct or a clot or something like that, that plugs it up constricted arteries. Um, you're not going to be able to move much blood, which means you're not going to be able to move much, much oxygen. So that's why VO2 max is a good predictor of, of uh, metabolic health and longevity. Cause what is the number one killer of Americans? The number one killer of Americans is heart disease. So heart, heart attack and stroke. And, and largely it's preventable. So in general, if you have a good VO2 max and you can move a lot of blood in your body, it means your heart's pumping well, your lungs are working well, the chances of you having a heart attack are a lot slimmer than the average American. Now I get it. There's going to be some haters out there that don't like the VO2 max category, especially the people that don't like cardio and, um, you know, the gym rats, the meatheads that, that, that say it's unnecessary. And they're going to say, well, you know, there's marathon, there's marathon people and triathlete people that have heart attacks uh, quite frequently. Yes, that is true. But also those people that run triathlons um, or compete in triathlons and run marathons, they're not your typical average American that is sedentary sitting on the couch. So it does happen, but it's a lot it's a lot less, it's a lot more rare than the average American. So VO2 max can be measured um, a few different ways. The most complicated way and maybe the best way, but there's still definitely 
it's not perfect. It's kind of kind of like measuring body fat. There is no perfect measurement for body fat. It's it's all an estimation. VO2 max, you can go into a lab, you can put a mask on, they actually see how much you know oxygen that you can uh, move uh, from that output. There's a lot of variables there that they really can't test. And there's some parasitic losses and stuff that they're kind of guessing anyway. So um, I'm not saying that it's not that it's not useful. But it might be – it's still an estimate. So the way I use it and the way a lot of people um, test their VO2 max is with a Garmin. I think Garmin um, – Garmin, G-A-R-M-I-N. Garmin is a company that has been working with endurance athletes for many years and basically collecting their data. It started – they started out as, as a GPS company, Garmin, and – they were basically tracking people's runs and tracking people's bike rides. Well, next thing you know, um, on GPS, right, for maps. And um, next thing you know, they're tracking other data like heart rate. Um, there's all other kinds of data they can track, like your your speed, your pace, your, your cadence on a bike, uh, all these measurements. Um, and, they're very, and they can be very useful. So Garmin started using this data to track VO2 max. And basically what they do is they track your heart rate, you know, your resting heart rate, your your heart rate during workouts, the pace that you're you're at, the altitude you're at, the um uh, the humidity, the temperature, because that makes your heart rate vary. And they they use all these data points to estimate your VO2 max. I think it's fairly accurate. Here's what here's the thing. It really doesn't matter what the number is. It's kind of like the number on a scale if you're trying to lose weight. It's all relative, okay? So if you're trying to lose weight, and let's say the scale starts at 200, well, I mean, next week, just make it sure it's 198. I mean, it, you know, that that's really all it is. So same thing with VO2 max with Garmin. It doesn't matter how accurate it really is. Um, it matters, you know, can you progress it? So I'm not going to go much into the details of the numbers and what a good VO2 max is. You guys can look those up. Um, I think it's just important to start tracking it. Um, and, and, and it is, it is changeable that, that, that's, what's really cool. And, you know, um, one of the best ways to make differences in your VO2 max is to do cardio, what people would call cardio in the gym. You need 35 to 45 minutes of workouts. Um, I would say do that three to four days a week, seriously. Um, I, because I'm a biker, I do a lot more than that. Um, if you're a runner, you can get away with less, you can get away with less time. 35 to 40 minutes is probably fine. Biker, you probably need more, but those are things that's important to increase VO2 max. And you can, they graph it out for you. Apple watch actually does it now too. I imagine they kind of copied some of the data points from, um, Garmin, but Apple watch does it. I'm imagining some of the other companies like Wahoo fitness and things like that, that track those kinds of data Fitbit might do it. I don't know. Um, but the two max, there it is. That's, that's the first one, uh, track it, know it, get, get, get a, get a Garmin, get a Garmin heart rate monitor. They, they have a watch, um, and, and, and start tracking that kind of data. It's it's very it, during your workouts, and it will use those histories, your workouts to track your VO2 max. Second, so that's cardiopulmonary function, basically. Um, second, what is the second best marker 
for metabolic health and longevity, predictor of health, strength of mobility are two very important, strength, mobility, and balance. I'm going to put them all in the same category. And think about this. Strength, mobility, and balance. Those are all important predictors of health. Think about what happens when people get sick. They fall down. They can't balance. They fall down, break a hip. And that sometimes is debilitating and basically the end of a of a very healthy life because sometimes people will end up in a nursing home for the rest of their life after that. So strength, mobility, and balance. If you're not strong, think about it. If you're not strong, you can't, you can't get up off the couch and even walk. Think about what people have when they're not healthy. They use walkers, they use canes, they use wheelchairs. Um, same thing with balance. When they when they don't ba- when they can't balance, they, they don't use those things, or they do use those things. And and mobility. I just talked about it. I mean, when people get sick, you look at people that access the healthcare system. Most of the people that access the healthcare system, they are using some kind of mobility device because they're sick. You know, I personally don't want to be sick, so I don't want to be those people. Um, I make a joke that I came into this world fat, bald, and peeing my pants. I don't want to go out that way. I don't want to go out in a walker in a wheelchair. And so I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that. How do you prevent that? Well, you practice strength, mobility, and balance. How do you do that? You do that in the gym. Um, since most of us have sedentary office type jobs, we don't practice that stuff every day. Back in the old days when you know, people were out on the farm throwing around hay bales, branding cattle, throwing around cattle, jumping off a horse, um, getting on a horse back in those old days when we didn't have all the luxuries that have spoiled us and made us unhealthy. They practiced balance, strength, and every day. Um, so go to the gym, do strength exercises, lift weights, lift heavy weights safely, um, do balance type exercises. What do I mean by balance type exercises? One-legged squats, do one-legged squats. You might have to do them with balance on some at first, um, pistol squats, um, look it up. You can Google the videos, pistol squats, um, Bulgarian split squats. You can look those up too. It's basically where you put your leg behind you on a bench and you do squats. That's another balance exercise. Stand on one foot. Just stand on one foot. Um, do one-legged deadlifts. Um, no weight necessary, necessarily. Th- those are all balance exercises. There was a study to show that somebody that cannot balance on one leg for 10 seconds has probably less than 10 years to live. Now, I don't like black. There, there's exceptions to every rule. I don't like black and white studies like that because I know people that were in good health and they couldn't balance in their in their teen years on one foot and they were in decent health. Um, so there's exceptions to that rule. But think about what I just talked about introducing this subject is that, you know, what what makes people get sick? You know, what's a when you look at somebody, what what? What goes away first, their mobility and their balance and their walk with walkers and wheelchairs and things like that. So um, 
chances are if you can't bounce on one foot for 10 for 10 seconds then that is a sign of that you aren't necessarily healthy now here's a great thing you can practice that you can help that so practice one-legged exercises just google that one-legged exercises there's many different ways to do them um that's going to help you help your 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 balance and and your mobility and your strength um And so what's the next predictor of overall health? Again, this is something. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit here. If you follow us enough, we talk about um, sleep, diet, and exercise. And we talk about those are the three main things that you can do to control your overall health. And we talk about sleep being the most important. Well, and, and diet being the second most important and exercise being the third most important. And here I am talking about VO2 max and strength, mobility, and balance. And those are third on the rung, right? They're they're more exercise-based. Well, here's the thing. Um, it is all piece of the puzzle. But when you start doing better metabolically, first, you're going to do those other things better. For instance... If you're doing 35 minutes of cardio four or five days a week, um, you're not going to want to be overweight. So you're going to want to start eating healthier. Same thing with the strength and mobility exercises. If you are overweight, think about if you are overweight and doing one-legged exercises. Not going to be very easy. So you'll have to watch those things to progress your VO2 max and your strength balance and um uh, strength, strength, balance, and mobility. You'll have to, you know, progress those things. Um, so diet and diet and sleep are still very, very important. So what's the third one? Third one would be, would be body fat. Now notice I didn't say BMI. BMI is a measure of, of your height versus your weight. And then a, a percentage of that, um, it's not really very accurate, in my opinion, because it does not take into account um, lean body mass. So BMI stands for body mass index is, is what it stands for. So people with a lot of lean body mass, myself included, my BMI can be over 27 sometimes, especially when I'm out of season and, and maybe even higher. I don't even know what it is because I don't calculate it. Cause I don't care um, because I have a lot of lean body mass and I'm not very tall. So my BMI looks like I'm obese, um, at least not metabolically healthy. And that's why I don't like BMI. It's body fat, body fat. What's important. So body composition, you want lean body mass. You don't want a lot of body fat. Now there are studies out there to say that for, I think for men, for women, over 36% body fat is considered um, – there's some study out there that, that, that you know, you're going to have some kind of cardiac event within a few years and 34% for women or something. I don't even remember the, the details of the study. All it's – 36 and 34 is a lot of body fat. Um, I personally think – I know when you look at charts for men, they'll talk about how it's – as we age, we can have more body fat, and that's what's normal. Yeah, I don't like normal. Um, I personally think for men, 
no more than 15% body fat. And I think the average American has over 35%. You think about that. Think about 35% body fat. Your body is 35% fat. That's horrible. That can't be good for you. Do you think your heart is going to pump efficiently with all that fat? No. All that fat and extra weight? No. It's not going to. That's when people start having problems. So body fat is easier to measure. Again, it's like VO2 max. It is a estimate. No matter how you measure body fat, it's an estimate. There's the pinch caliber test. I think that works. Um, you know, you can buy these little calipers and it teaches you how to do it. You can do it yourself or have somebody else do it. It's probably the best because they can they won't necessarily cheat and they'll they'll do the same pressure each time. That's the way I personally think um, one of the best ways is, and I know some people think this is this is bogus, but again, it is just an estimate. Tanita makes a great body fat measurement scale, Tanita, T-A-N-I-T-A. And it uses electrical impedance to shoot up through your body and measure the amount of water and muscle mass and and um, bone in your in your body and fat. Again, it's an estimate. And again, if you start with that estimate, just use that as the starting number and it's all relative and you just progress from there. So here's one of the things about that scale. This just shows that their calculations are not perfect. If you're an athlete, it miscalculates it and it will calculate you too high on body fat. So they have an athlete model scale. Um, and that's the one that I use. And I, I think it's relative, relatively accurate. I, you know, just use it as a guideline like you would um, any any measurement. Um, the other ways you can do it is a dunk tank method. Um, here's again, they're estimating because they try to figure out how much lean body mass you have, which doesn't float very well. Fat floats because fat is lighter than water. And but here's one of the things they have you blow all your air out of your of your lungs because obviously air makes you more buoyant. Well, again, they're guessing how much air you have left in your lungs. So again, it's an estimate. And the, and the DEXA scan, DEXA scans are an estimate too. DEXA scans are becoming more common though and easier to access and less expensive. So that's also a way. Um, I think a Tanita body fat machine is the most accessible, least expensive, very, and it's, I think it's repeatable. And here's, it's in your house. And here's one of the other things, um, you know, use, use the mirror. You'll know in the mirror if you're losing body fat. So that's the third the third thing. Um, the fourth thing I would say for um, metabolic health, kind of on the same scale as body fat, is waist to height ratio. And as your, your waist size should be half of what your height is or less. Um, for those of us that are mesomorphs, um, that can be a little bit more difficult. Because even when I'm lean, my waist size is, you know, like 28 or 30. And I'm only five foot six and a half on a good day, maybe five foot seven. So, um, you know, waist to height measurement is, is an important indicator. Some say that, you know, a, a male shouldn't have a waist any bigger than 34. I, I think that's, you know, that's variable. I mean, what if the male is, you know, six foot four? You know, um, although, I mean, a male of six foot four could definitely, definitely have a waist of, of, um, 34. My, my oldest son is, is one of them. 
Um, so that's a, basically a measure of body fat because where do we where do we store our fat? We usually store it around our middle. So height to weight measurement is an important indicator of health. Um, also, again, an easy one that you can do at home. Um, that one, that one, you know, is something you don't need any kind of fancy fancy equipment for. That's sure. Just a, just a just a tape measure. Um, the other one would be hypertension. Um, you guys have heard of it before, probably called high blood pressure. Um, hypertension is something that you can monitor at, at home, get inexpensive uh, monitoring devices. Hypertension is a big indicator of metabolic health. Um, and it probably is the number one indicator of poor cardiovascular health. So hypertension, high blood pressure, anything over 140, over 90, they consider high. Now, remember, your body is meant to heal itself. If you have hypertension, you don't lack some blood pressure drug. You don't need to go on some blood pressure drug. I'm not saying that you shouldn't short term, but long term, your goal should be to not have hypertension. So what causes hypertension? So as our bodies are metabolically unhealthy and usually we get bigger, um, usually you have more, you have more tissue to perfuse. You, your blood has to go to other places. Your heart cannot pump hard enough to get to um, the blood flow up. So it increases in pressure and that increase in pressure puts all kinds of strain on all kinds of things like your heart and your kidneys. So in order to lower your blood pressure, you want to be ideal body weight, ideal body composition, put less pressure on your heart. It can lower, then your vessels can lower, lower the pressure in there to help perfuse your outer tissues, peripheral tissues, and have a more efficient pump. Make sure that heart pumps harder. How do you make the heart pump harder? Cardio. We talked about that with VO2 max. You increase your VO2 max and make your heart a more efficient pump and your blood pressure problems will probably go away. If you increase your VO2 max enough, your blood pressure problems will go away. Think about it. If your heart is really efficient at pumping blood, you don't need high blood pressure to, to perfuse all your outer tissues and your, and your vital organs. So um, again, VO2 max is going to help decrease hypertension. Now, what about hypertension and salt? I know we, you, we've been lied to when it comes to salt and hypertension. And, you know, people with kidney dysfunction or bad hearts already, which they don't perfuse their kidneys very well, they will be salt sensitive and they need to really watch that. But, but most people that have healthy kidney function, salt is very, very, very important. And it's not about salt that makes, that makes us have high blood pressure. Well, you know what it's really about? It's about sugar. I talk about carbohydrates commonly, and I, I don't I don't think carbohydrates are bad. I just think if you're eating carbohydrates, you need to be burning the carbohydrates. You need to be burning that excess so glucose, which is what carbohydrates turn into. So on that topic, I'll mention the first honorable mention of what's an important a metabolic health indicator. That would be insulin level. Notice I didn't say glucose level. Why did I not say glucose level? Because there are people walking around with normal glucose levels that are not diabetics, yet you look at them 
and they're 100 pounds overweight, you know they are not metabolically healthy. You know that their pancreas is totally strained from all the extra stuff in their blood, including, including glucose. But right now, their pancreas is still working to produce enough insulin to lower their glucose. So they don't look like a diabetic yet, okay? Well, they do look like a diabetic. They just don't show it on the numbers yet. If you check your insulin, that person's fasting insulin level, it would be way high because their pancreas is still healthy enough to keep producing insulin to lower that extra blood glucose from all the, all the crap they've been eating and not burning. It's not just crap eating. It's not burning it. Um, I can eat a lot of carbohydrates when I'm racing my bike. Believe me, I eat a lot of carbohydrates when I'm racing my bike, but I'm burning it. Okay. So insulin, fasting insulin is more important than fasting glucose. So check your fasting insulin level. That is, and, and fasting insulin is, high insulin is what causes diabetes, type 2 diabetes, yet we give insulin for type 2 diabetics hmm, to lower their blood, blood glucose. Isn't that kind of like putting fuel on the fire? Hmm, whatever. Um, so check your insulin level. And um, it actually, higher insulin levels have been associated with hypertension, high blood pressure. Guess what? Get off the junk food, get off the carbs, start moving, lower your insulin, lower your glucose levels. And remember, you don't need, if, if you're burning glucose, you don't need as much insulin. So your body won't release insulin because you're burning the glucose. So exercise, you know, burns that glucose. So your body won't produce more insulin. doesn't have to, you're burning it. Um, that's that, that's the one marker that I would recommend that you need a blood test for. And the second honorable mention that you need a blood test for are, are lipid lipids. Um, you guys have heard of lipid panels, total cholesterol, bad cholesterol, LDL, good cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, kind of the amount of fat that's floating around in your blood. And, and we've been taught how bad total cholesterol is. Well, I will tell you, I think we've been fed a bunch of baloney when it comes to total cholesterol. My total cholesterol runs anywhere from 210 to 215 to 230 maybe. I don't know if it's been that high or not. Um, I'm not concerned about that. I think drug companies are good at finding a marker and then that they can say is bad and then find a drug that can lower it. And then all of a sudden, everybody needs uh, to be on a statin to lower their cholesterol. So and if drug companies had their ways, they would, everybody would be on a statin to, for, for total cholesterol. My LDL is a little high too. I think it's like 130 last time I checked or whatever. Here's the two most important markers for lipids. And you can almost, I look at a lot of labs, people's labs every day. And you can almost tell when somebody is lying about eating a healthy diet because you look, or exercising, because you look at their triglycerides and you look at their HDL, their good cholesterol. Triglycerides are the amount of fat that's floating on your blood. HDL is the amount of good cholesterol. If you have the triglyceride to HDL ratio should be three or less. 2.5 or less is probably even better. Um, mine is less than one, actually. How do I get mine less than one? Well, exercise stimulates HDL. It stimulates um, good cholesterol. And triglycerides are... Uh, a monitor of how our, how, what kind of food we're eating 
And fasting. If somebody's triglycerides is really high, one of the first things you want to ask is, were they fasting during these labs? Because if they weren't, their triglycerides are high. I mean, if you ate a, a ribeye steak and then you went to get your triglycerides checked, your triglycerides would be really high because it's already in your blood. But after the liver processes it and you've been fasting for 12 hours, it should be gone. So um, that's why, you know, you need to know how to interpret the lab appropriately. Um, and that's why I, I – it. You know, and you know me, I don't think eating a fatty steak is bad at all. Um, it's just, it's going to mess up that lab if you're trying, if you're fasting. Um, so triglyceride to HDL ratio. If your liver is processing triglycerides correctly, your liver is working correctly, then, you know, it's going to process those, those things out of there and your triglyceride level is going to be, going to be normal um, or optimal, I should say. What's normal, what's optimal is two different things for me. So um, that's that's the that's honorable mention, second honorable mention I have for, for blood work access, triglyceride to HDL. And like I said, I look at labs every day. And when somebody says, well, I eat healthy, and it's like, well, your triglyceride is 200 and your HDL is 30. Um, you know, and I exercise. Well, it's it's just, it's an indicator that they probably don't. So um, those, those are it. Um, I got some comments I want to answer first. First of all, I want to um, thank uh, thank Kelly Young for watching him for watching our videos. Thank you for watching Kelly, and thank you for for uh, commenting. Yes, call him out. It's all it's all about that. You know me. I do speak truth. Sometimes people don't like it, but it is. It just is what it is. Um, my goal is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. That's the goal of this podcast. And Lee Pitts, another loyal listener, what pancreatic diseases, if any, are directly re related to overconsumption of carbohydrates? This is a great show, by the way. Okay, that's a great question. So, um, first of all, um, diabetes is the first one that 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 I think of. And and you know, when we think of diabetes, diabetes. There's actually two different kinds of diabetes. Diabetes insipidus, which is more a, a kidney issue, and diabetes mellitus is the ones when we think of diabetes, that's what we really are talking about. And really what we're talking about most of the time when we talk about diabetes is type 2 diabetes. I wish type 1 and type 2 diabetes, I wish they were not even named the same thing. So what does, what does diabetes mellitus mean? Diabetes mellitus literally in Greek means honey siphon. Diabetes means um, sugar or honey and mellitus means siphon. You're basically urinating out. You're peeing out sugar because you have excess sugar. Type 1 and type 2 are, are way different. Type 1 diabetes, we don't know what causes it. But there's a lot of things that we kind of think about. It, it can be an autoimmune thing. Usually kids get it. It used to be called juvenile diabetes. Um, but now since type 2 diabetes has trickled down into juveniles. We don't call it that anymore. So type one diabetes is where your pancreas doesn't make enough insulin anymore. So typically those people will need to use um, insulin the rest of their life. Now, I will tell you this, that doesn't mean they need to use excessive amounts of insulin. That doesn't need to mean they need to eat a lot of carbs. Do not buy the lies out there that type one diabetics need to eat carbs. They don't. If they don't eat carbs, they just use essence, less insulin. Remember I told you about the dangers of insulin? Whether it's exogenous, you're getting it exogenously or endogenously, it can be bad, okay? Only use as little insulin as you have to, okay? Type 2 diabetes, which is the one we mostly talk about, which is the one that's mostly caused by lifestyle problems, is also um, um, a carbohydrate metabolism problem. 
but it is where your body's not responding to insulin. So your pancreas keeps making more insulin to try to overcome that. And um, finally, you know, you just got a ton of insulin on board, but it's just, it's resistant. You're what's called insulin resistant. So what's the ways to help insulin resistance? Exercise. Yep. Oh, fasting. Yeah. Fasting. If, if somebody doesn't think that type two diabetes is reversible, fast for 24 hours. See what happens to your glucose. Oh, well, duh, it's going to go down. Of course. Right. So if some doctor or any healthcare professional lies to you and says type two diabetes is not reversible, Fast for 24 hours. Just don't be on insulin because it will, you'll go into hypoglycemia. Um, uh, but that's that. That alone is proof that that um, type two diabetes is reversible. Also, you know what? If you also go on a low, low carbohydrate for hypertension, go on a low carbohydrate diet. Go on a low a low carbohydrate diet for a week. Go on a go on keto or low carbohydrate for a week. See what happens to your blood pressure. I guarantee it'll go down. That that's another proof that it's it's reversible. And if you can do it for, why wouldn't you want to do those things long term if you can show that you can move those markers? So that about covers it for me discussing the best market for metabolic health and longevity. If anybody has anything to add, please add them. There's a lot, you know. There's a lot more that I, I could have went went on with. Um, I'm trying to make it easy. Things that you can do at home and things that you can that really affect. You know, and all these things that you you can affect pretty easily. So, that's it. Uh, that's that's health solutions for the for this week. Uh, tune into our regularly scheduled show, which will be Monday twelve thirty to one thirty Pacific Standard Time, and that's where I'll have my wonderful wife with me. Um, so, thank you for tuning into Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.